The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. To Philippians 2, the focus of our attention this morning. We continue in our verse-by-verse series through the book of Philippians, and the series we're calling Durable, and this morning the title of the message is A Durable Influence. And, you know, today's passage really hits home. Now, if you've been with us each and every week here in the book of Philippians, like, and, or you're just familiar with Philippians, there's not very many verses in this, in, in this book here that don't hit home, right? It's just really practical application, really timely words, no matter where we are, no matter what season we're in, this is a great, great book. And ultimately, we could say that of every book of the Bible, couldn't we, church? Like it's God's word for us. He has spoken to us. It's alive and active. But today's passage really hits home for us once again. For as we'll see here in the verses, as I read them in just a minute, we'll see here that the same disease that plagued the Israelites of old and has plagued we Americans today also affected the Greco-Roman world of the first century. The church there in Philippi. See, there were some habits that had corrupted the uh, crooked and twisted generation of that day. There was an attitude that was so pervasive and so persuasive that it had made its way even into the body of Christ, the church there at Philippi. And this uh, attitude, this habit, this disease left unchecked, it would cripple their walk with Christ and potentially mute even their witness for Christ. There is no waiting in lines for cures. There is uh, no uh, uh, wait time for the cure is abundant more than we realize. And the cure is 100% safe and effective. The disease I'm speaking of? Grumbling. The cure? Joy. The cure is joy. You may remember uh, from not many months ago, from our time in Exodus 16, do you remember that church? That immediately after the Israelites had been set free from Egyptian slavery, immediately after their feet had hit the other side of the Red Sea, they caught a case of contagious complaining. The the people of God there, even after witnessing firsthand the burning bush and then the great and grievous judgments poured out upon the land of Egypt and the great and glorious mercy of God to preserve these people, to bring them safely home, even as this two to three million uh, people uh, crossed over the Red Sea. God saved them from their enemies and then completely annihilated the threat their enemies that would seek their harm, even after witnessing and walking through through all of this, as soon as they're on the other side, still they grumble. They're hungry. They have no water. And from those verses there, we learned some very practical lessons, didn't we? From these lessons, we, we see some things in our own life as well. For we know that grumbling happens when we become discontent with the truth. When we begin to look to other voices, other things, when, we, when the truths of who God is, the scriptures, the, the glory of the character of God becomes all too familiar and we begin to lose our awe. There we are reminded that we must be careful about who we listen to, the sources of, of who we are learning from and to kindle our awe. 
For when we become discontent with the truth of who God is, we begin to grumble. But grumbling also happens when we uh, fail to accept life's challenges and we feel entitled as a child of God. Where we think, I deserve this. Life shouldn't be so hard. I deserve to have a little peace and quiet in my life. I deserve, and we begin to feel entitled. Fail to accept the reality that life is hard. That God always provides. That His timing is different than ours. And when we begin to feel entitled and we fail to accept life's challenges, then what crops up? Complaining. Grumbling. And in that passage, we also learn that grumbling happens when we forget the work of God. Just like the Egyptians who had seen all of the, the supernatural work of God. When that is in our rear, rear view mirror, we forget what he's done. The call then is to remember, to remember what God has done and what he promised he has said he will do. Now, we're instructed on how to, how to stop grumbling and to choose joy. So you ready to read the verses or are we not really thrilled about reading them this morning? <laughs> I told you it's going to hit home for us this morning. So look at your Bible here. Let me read the word of God for us and put it uh, here. Let it instruct us and train us in righteousness. Then join me. Philippians 2 verse 14. It says to do all things. You might want to circle that, underline it, highlight it. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is God's word for God's people. It's a great section of uh, scripture, isn't it? Like I said, it hits home. And so what do we make of these verses? How could we summarize it into one statement? Well, if you're taking notes, here's what it is. It's this, that our attitude affects our walk and our witness. Our attitude affects our walk and our witness. It starts off pretty straightforward, doesn't it? It's a continuation of the verses beforehand. Obviously, there's rumbling, but it starts pretty straightforward to do all things. Is there anything in your life that this does not apply to? Absolutely not. We are to do all things without, minus, subtracted, a grumbling or disputing. See, parents, we love to quote this with our kids, don't we? When they're told to do a chore, they're told to go unload the dishwasher, they're told to pick up their room or whatever, and what, you know typically crops up. A little bit of grumbling, right? Maybe some fighting. Well, I didn't do it. It was my sister's fault or my brother made the mess. We love to quote this, but, as, but really all of us need this, don't we? All of us need just the straightforward command this morning to do all things without grumbling or disputing. I almost think like we need a reminder on our phone um, to, uh, to just like pop up with this verse when it hears us. We know our phones are listening to us anyways, right? They're taking, they're taking account of all the things that we talk about and, and uh, buy and are watching all of our tendencies here. And so maybe we just need to train our phones so that whenever they hear grumbling or disputing come out of our mouth, that it just all of a sudden starts speaking. Like Alexa at our house has started doing this just out of nowhere. I don't know why. She just starts telling us things about things. And 
it's actually kind of creepy, but maybe she just needs to uh, uh, remind us to do all things without grumbling or disputing. But in the verses, if that's the nail, if that's the big picture, that our attitude, whether it's one of grumbling or one of joy, it affects our walk and our witness. And we're given two reasons why to stop here. Two reasons, the first being our personal holiness, our walk with Christ, to be blameless and innocent without blemish in this world. And so we're to stop complaining why for our own growth in Christ's likeness. But the second is like it and flows directly from it also our public witness. Because we are called to shine like lights in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. How we speak, our attitude has an effect on our public witness, both amongst unbelievers, but also, as we'll look at a little closely here in a second, also in our witness to other believers. Our attitude has an effect on how we encourage and build up the community of believers that God has put around us uh, here as the people of God. And so as we go, note these two complementary truths. They'll be on the screen here for you, but note these two complementary truths. The first is this, is that grumbling is an impediment to your walk and your witness. Grumbling is an impediment. It's a, it's a deterrent. It's a detractant. It smothers it like a wet blanket. And any time uh, when grumbling comes into a conversation, it, it, it smothers the joy and the camaraderie and the unity and the fellowship that exists between uh, people. It is an impediment to our own walk and our own uh, growth in the Lord and our own witness. It like builds a wall around our Christlikeness so that others cannot see it. Grumbling and complaining is an impediment to our walk. And joy then, as, we, as others' joy is placed on it, our own joy becomes contagious. It accelerates our walk with Christ as we live life for the glory of God and for the joy of following Him and of serving others. It becomes so contagious that, uh, that others want to be around you. Like, like joy is contagious, right? Like we want to be around those people that just exude the joy of the Lord, right? Some of you are like, no, I don't want to be around them. It's the only grumps don't want to be around joyful people, right? But it is. It's contagious. We want to work with. We want to walk with. We want to live life with those people that are exuding the joy of the Lord. And so joy becomes, both an, or becomes an accelerant both to our walk and our witness for the Lord. And so these are the truths. We have one primary thing, two complementary truths, but let's get really practical now with the text. Let's get practical. See, the command is clear. The, the truth is simple, and the application, I believe this morning, is as urgent as it has ever been in our life. It is so urgent here as we seek to stop grumbling and then choose joy. And so I have three things for you this morning, three applicational points on how to stop grumbling and choose joy. And the first is this, to mature like a child. You want to stop grumbling and choose joy, then here's the first thing, to mature like a child. Look at the text with me now. It says to do all things without grumbling and disputing. We got that. And then he says that, or so that the reason here again is the call to holiness. To, to be pursuing Christ's likeness. Again, it's the, a flow from the previous verses on getting to work and living a life for Christ, the one that, is, uh, that no charge can be brought against you. No uh, inconsistencies where we are men and women of integrity, men and women who are living out our faith in a public sphere and personally uh, with the Lord. We are to be blameless and innocent and without blemish. 
And so we here want to, we need to work. We need to mature in these things as children do. See, the detriment to that holiness, as we've just said, is grumbling and disputing. We grumble all the time, right? We grumble about work. We grumble about the decisions our, 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 uh, our superiors make. We grumble about what coworkers do. We, left, we grumble about jobs not being done up to our standards. We grumble about our kids and they're, uh, they're, they're complaining themselves. We grumble about everything. Grumble about the weather and it's too hot or it's too cold. It's too wet. It's too dry. It's too windy. There's not enough wind. We grumble about anything. Any inconvenience is cause to grumble. We also are prone to disputing, aren't we? This detriment to, to our maturing is disputing. We, dis, we dispute and argue. We, we've, we, we just look to debate. We look to shoot holes. We look to put down somebody else or another decision. All kinds of disputing. Now just scroll through social media and you will see these two things on full display. We dispute about masks, we dispute about politics, we dispute about works, we dispute about decisions. Really, any issue is cause for this type of quarreling. And these two words here are really what one commentator called the common language of the culture. A common language of the culture, and I think he is absolutely right. See, complaining is a language that every human can speak from the time words can come out of their mouth. It is a language that transcends every era, every culture, every spoken or written language. It is the language of darkness. It needs no interpreter. The complaining needs no training. It is easily understood by everybody. It is what is common. But the language of children, the children of God, is the language of light. It's the language of joy. It's the language of seeing uh, Christ. It's the language of, of choosing to be affected by the character of God more than our circumstances. See, this is a mark. This is the language of the maturing, those maturing children who are seeking to live a life blameless and innocent and without blemish. This is the language of joy, of gladness and rejoicing. And so, church, don't miss this here this morning. As we think about these two languages, as we think about maturing like a child, I'm not talking about living like a little simple, yet we read over it so quickly. How many times did we sing it in the songs this morning? Many times. Many times to be considered a child of God, he's referring to believers. That fundamental truth, that, that glorious truth that we have been adopted by God. God himself unto salvation. And let's just be clear about what this is referring to, because sometimes you'll hear people in the news, other even like uh, public religious figures, they'll say uh, things like, well, we're all children of God, aren't we? I'll say that in referring to things like equality and unity. We're all children of God. And, and to be precise and to use biblical languages, the reality is no, we're not. No, no, we're not. All people are made in the image of God. Let me just be clear about this. All human beings, regardless of gender, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of all tall or short or wide or anything, you are, we are all created in the image of God and therefore have great value and great worth. It is why we fight for human rights and human dignity and all those things that we love and embrace and that scripture would teach us as created in the image of God. But the language for children of God is reserved for believers. Where God is our Father. 
those who have been adopted by God. Have you been adopted? Has he set his love upon you? Were you chosen in love in Christ before the foundations of the world? Where he set his love upon you, gave you a name, a new identity as a Christ follower, a disciple, a son or daughter of the Lord. Has he given you his eternal inheritance? Has he given you his features that you would exude then the, the fruits of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and righteousness and goodness and self-control? That eternal inheritance of his unconditional love, his unwavering forgiveness towards you. See, as a child of God, this is our inheritance. These are our features. This is our future with the Lord. So let that sink in this morning. Have you thought this morning in an awe-inspiring, worshipful, humble way that I am a child of God? See, this is fundamental to the gospel. The Father. Isn't that glorious? See, this is the truth of Christ. This is what is uh, what the reality, the familial sense of our salvation, that we are in His family. And when we keep this before us humbly and rightly, you'll find that you have less and less to grumble about, less and less to dispute about, that our Father is good and wise and sovereign and is working out all things for His glory and our good. And when we keep the fact that we are children of God, growing in Him, when we keep this before us, we'll find a, a joy that gives us great strength in the midst of temptation. Where anything that the world has to offer and the passing pleasures of sin will pale in comparison to the things that God our Father has given to us as His kids. See, when we keep before us the truth that we are children of God, you'll find a joy that is durable through any trial that you may walk through. You will find a strength and a security that will not let you go. But I'm more and more convinced that the language of joy is one of a mark of maturity for God's children. And the language of complaining and disputing is a mark of immaturity, of, of culture-like childishness. But joy that is a fruit of the Spirit and is a mark of increasing godliness that all of us are seeking to grow in and to attain because of the work that Christ has done in our life. And so we grow. We grow in Christ. We grow and work at our salvation with fear and trembling. We grow in joy and leave grumbling behind, repenting of it and believing that the way forward is much, much greater in Christ. You want to stop grumbling? You want to choose joy? And choose to mature like a child of God, growing in your understanding of who you are in Him and what He's done to save you and to adopt you. Have those thoughts before you and you will continue to grow. And this is a truth. This is a truth that we hold on to. It's, it's a truth that we grasp and we don't let go, which is really the next application here. You want to stop grumbling and choose joy? I pray that you do. Well, here's the second application. It's really this, to hold on to the gospel. Hold on to the gospel. The text continues on. He calls us to, or he says to be blameless and innocent, children of God, holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast to it, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. 
And we read that phrase there at the end of verse 15, and, and, and we ask, you know, well, what was it that made Philippi so bad, right? Just calling them a crooked and twisted generation? Was there something like especially evil about that day? Or you might read those verses and you think, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I, I see that. Yeah, I see that today, all the wickedness, all the perversion that prevails that is considered normal of uh, exploiting the vulnerable of, in our world of calling good evil and evil things good. And you say, yeah, we, we live in a generation like that, right? The reality is that this phrase, a crooked and twisted generation, describes every generation since the beginning of humanity. Since sin entered the world, things have been crooked and twisted, even the so-called greatest generations. Why is this true? Well, because human depravity is radical and real. It looks different. It, it, it may uh, manifest itself differently in different generations, but since sin has darkened the world, it has left things pitch black. Things like, it is so eerie and dreary when we think of the condition of the world around us. Anybody up early this morning before the sun came up? It was pretty dark out there, wasn't it? Driving to church, it was like, I was like, wow, Lord, this is, it, it's, it's a pretty dark world out here. In the places where there wasn't very many uh, street lights, there's no traffic, it was very eerie. Ever been left in a room or outside and, and didn't know where to go and you had to grope about in the dark to find your way out, to find your way to a light switch, to find your way to a flashlight? Ever been in a place like that? You're like, yeah, I don't want to remember it. You're bringing up like bad uh, dreams, you know, bad memories in my life. It's suffocating, isn't it? The darkness is terrifying us around us. And, and as we find ourselves in places like this, dark rooms without light, we do irrational things. Our mind begins to go crazy. Our heart begins to race. And we begin to get worried and do irrational things. And here the, here's the reality, church. Is without hope, not knowing where the light switches and grasping to anything that seems solid looking for, uh, for uh, anything that looks like it could uh, offer help, grasping to dear, for dear life to political leaders, to ideologies, to personal identities, anything. And unable to see any of the dangers or see any of the limitations or the eternal consequences, really until they fail them. And so as those who've been redeemed, those who've seen the light of Christ, or to have compassion. Or to have compassion and understand this is the world in which we live. And then let that compassion compel us to hold fast to the gospel. To hold fast the word of life, both for our own sake and also holding it out for the world to see. See, beloved, we hold fast to the gospel, what is called here the word of life. Not necessarily, I don't think, referring to the whole of scripture, although we do hold the scriptures, but most specifically uh, referring to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the truth of who Jesus is, a truth that transforms us. That God is holy and our sin has separated us, but Christ stood in our place. And that when we repent and believe, God gives us a new heart, a new mind to walk in newness of life. And we hold firmly to that. It's a light that shines bright in the darkness. 
It's a truth that we ourselves clutch too tightly. We hold fast to it, just like in the song, like a, like a child would hold her dad's hand all as they walk, clutching it as tightly as she might, but knowing that his grip is more secure. See, we're just like that as we hold on to the gospel, as we look to Christ. We're like a little child holding as tightly as we can, but knowing that apart from the strength, the security of the grip of Christ, we would soon lose heart, but church, he will hold us fast. Our holding is only because of his holding and firmly in his grasp. And so in the days ahead, church, hold fast. Hold fast this week. Hold fast this afternoon. You may be tempted to let go. You may be tempted to grip onto something else. You may uh, be tempted to let go because something uh, looks more secure. Christ doesn't look like he's coming through in the way that you want to. You may be battered by headlines. You may be facing challenges to break the grip, but don't do it. Hold fast and hold it out. Hold it out. See, the sense really here isn't to just like hold the light close and, and, and tuck it close to our breast and hold and, and, and take our jacket and cover it up. But it's, it's really meant to hold it out, actually, like a torch in a dark cave, lighting the way, showing all the traps and all the holes before us and illuminate forth from our life, shining bright like the stars on a dark night. This is our call. See, the backdrop of the world is black. It's crooked and twisted. It's crooked to expect to be taken advantage of, church. That's the norm for believers. Christ himself was taken advantage of. We live in a crooked and a twisted world. Expect your words to be misunderstood and used against you. Expect uh, things from unbelievers to not go your way. The world in which we live is crooked and twisted, but we hold fast the light of the gospel. We shine like stars, brilliant and beautiful against the ugliness and darkness, unafraid in our witness. And so, church, we want to stop grumbling. You want to uh, choose joy, then keep your joy hitched to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not to your circumstances, not, for, uh, not to your culture, not to the questions that you may have, not to the uncertainties of life, but let your joy be hitched to the gospel of Jesus Christ, keeping your eyes on heaven, longing for the day of Christ. See, that's where he takes us here. He says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, looking ahead, you want to choose joy? Well, keep your eyes on the prize, on the destination, the end goal, the day when all things will be made new, when all things will be made right, and it will make everything else pale in comparison. See, this is, was Paul's hope. This is what he is uh, putting before them to keep them going and not to give up when things break down, when things become too hard. See, this is not our home. How can we grumble when we are thinking about heaven? How can we grumble when we are thinking about the glory of Jesus Christ? And to do so is to really fail to understand what God is doing. Because see, even as we think of that, like our, our grumbling and our disputing is so like contagious, so pervasive that we can grumble about, well, how that's all going to happen. We can start to get impatient with the Lord and be like, start demanding of God, like, why won't you come back already? Why won't you fix this? 
acting like an entitled child before the Lord. He's calling us to revel in the urges those who have discipled us. Those who've influenced us, our joy as our holding fast of the gospel not only grows us, but it influences unbelievers and encourages other believers. You get the picture here of Paul the parent, don't you? He says, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I didn't run in vain or labor in vain. And you can read this with a sense like as a parent to be like, well, kids don't misbehave because I want you to make me proud. Don't embarrass me when we're in public, right? I don't think that's the sense in which Paul is writing here. But he is encouraging them on. He's saying, hey, let me get a glimpse of the fruit. I want to know that my running uses an athletic metaphor here and, uh, and that my working, a uh, labor uh, illustration here, I want to know that it was worth it. I want to know that what I did there was not in vain for your sake. Truth is, it's never in vain. When our, all of our work is for the Lord, it brings Him glory no matter what the uh, results are in a person's life. God is still glorified. But for Paul's sake, he wants to see the fruit in their life, to know that even why he's in prison now is because they have held tightly to the gospel in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation of their day. Their growth is his joy, and it makes it all worth it. As he thinks back on their growth, on their choosing the Lord, of their walking faithfully in the midst of difficulty, of their care for one another, their unafraid witness. As he uh, hears the stories and remembers that Christian joy is a mutual joy, a communal joy together. We are proud of one another's growth. We celebrate when we see people taking steps uh, towards Christ in their walk with Christ. As a pastor, this is especially true. I, uh, I beam when I get texts hearing of, of people caring for one another, of people being bold with the gospel, of people uh, doing what they're called to do. I, I love getting texts and messages uh, as people are reading the word and growing in it and having questions and seeking to know God. It makes me know and study even harder. Same way as you experience this in your own small groups, as you hear those same stories of one another, uh, that you are growing together. Christian joy is a communal joy. It's a joy where we grow together as we are holding on tightly to the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, and these, these final verses really get at our, this, the mutual aspect of it. There's a final application here. If you want to stop grumbling and choose joy, and choose to serve for the joy of others. It's to serve for the joy of others and not for yourself. Not for your own gratification here. Don't, don't mistake, uh, mistake Paul's meaning here like I, like I just referred to. He's not saying, hey, I want you to run so that way I can be joyful. Like, forget about you. That's not what he's speaking of there in those verses. And then in the final verse, verse 17 or final verses here, he's using some Old Testament language. See, he's reminding them that we don't do anything for our own gratification, for our own self. We especially do not serve this way. And so he uses an Old Testament language here, the drink offering and the sacrificial offering or a burnt offering here. And in the Old Testament, the priest would take a drink offering. Uh, it was a priestly offering that would be poured on the burnt offering of the people. So they would come to the temple, they would bring their, their offering, it would be laid upon the altar and all the, the, the traditions, all the rituals would go through and then the priest would come and likely water, maybe oil, would be poured upon the offering. He would add it there and that smoke would rise up as a pleasing aroma, as a sacrifice to the Lord. 
It was a communal aspect. It was them uh, together uh, consecrating themselves and their lives to the Lord. And so the imagery here is just that. It's of a sacrificial faith, of them consecrating themselves to the Lord, working together for uh, the mutual joy and the glory of God. It was a pouring out for the Lord together as they made steps, as they uh, worked and served the Lord. Then Paul came alongside and, and did it as well, just as we do the same, as we serve together. One waters, one plants, one waters, but it is God who causes the growth. The same, same thing happening here. It's similar to uh, here as it plays out in our church. You parents, you uh, disciple your kids. You, on a day-to-day -day basis, are praying with them praying for them. You're teaching them, reading devotions with them, talking about the scriptures together, taking advantage of those teachable moments that come up in life. You are discipling your kids. You have, are sacrificing on their behalf. And then you bring them on a Sunday morning and on a Sunday afternoon and you, you give them to the care of Redemption Kids leaders or the Redemption Students uh, leaders in the afternoon and they pour then on their joint drink offering in joyful partnership with you. See, we are in this together. We have consecrated ourselves to the Lord for the glory of God and the joy of other people. And so our parenting, our serving just in general to the Lord will crash and burn if, uh, if we are just in this for ourselves. If you serve the church, if you serve others, just so you can get that like good feeling that like I got to do this, I gave some money, the recognition that you might get or think you might get, you'll crash and burn. But if it is for the joy of others and the glory of God so that they will be served, then you will have a joy that is beyond really explanation. Grumbling and disputing will explode within you if your service, if your parenting, if your marriage, if your walk with Christ is only for your personal self-gratification. But serving like he's calling us here, he says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. He's saying, then likewise, you should be glad and rejoice here with me. Remember how we, how we defined joy just very simply several weeks ago? Joy is defined like this, to be satisfied in Christ. To just be satisfied in Christ. I get to serve. I get to love you. I get to grow in my faith. And when we choose to serve for the joy of others, grumbling quickly uh, goes to the back seat, and our joy then increases and becomes more sweet. So that even if we feel like our offering is, is great, like what is required here, our service here, is the cost is too much, and we look to Christ. And we see that his sacrifice was the costliest of all. We look to Christ and we see his once for all sacrifice uh, for our sins. We see uh, what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12 too, that who for the joy set before him endured the cross. To grumble and complain. That, that restrains those outbursts of grumbling and complaining that come so naturally. As we look to Christ, how could we complain? But we do so with great joy. Christ endured the cross to serve us with the greatest sacrifice of all. Pure in Christ and united with one another in Christ Jesus. And so as, even as we bring the text to a close and we begin to think about uh, communion, 
as we begin to think about, well, why would Christ give us elements like this? Why would he set an ordinance like this for the church? It is for that very reason, as our ongoing reminder, as we would eat the bread and, and drink the cup, that we would think of what Christ has done on our behalf. And this would be uh, not just a reminder, but it would nourish our soul as we think deeply on Christ. As God would do his work, as we are reflecting on his word, and as we are remembering the cross, how could we then grumble and complain? For we too easily forget the great cost that Christ has paid for we to be saved. And so as you get your elements out here, we're going to take it. We'll pray in just a minute. But let me just uh, begin uh, with a, uh, just put some things before you here. Uh, as, as a church, we believe and would invite you to take communion with us. We'll do it together here in just a bit. And this is for believers. You don't have to be a member here at Redemption, though we would love to uh, go through that process with you. But you do need to be a believer, a member of the body of Christ. You've repented of your sin. You've trusted Christ and Christ alone for the salvation of your, uh, for the salvation of your soul. You're not relying on your own works. You're not doing this or taking this as a way to earn favor with God. But we're taking it in joyful obedience to the Lord. And so we would invite you to take it. We also, the Bible instructs us to take it with a, with a sober mind, with a, a reflective mind, examining our own heart, making sure that we're right with Christ and right with the body of Christ, that there is no outstanding offenses between you and a brother or sister, one that if it was brought to mind, God would call you, hey, go make this right before you take this together. It's a work of God, a wise work of God to bring this before us to bring us back to greater unity. And so with all those things in mind, why don't I pray for us as we can just reflect, come before the Lord and take the elements in a worthy manner. Bow your heads and let's pray now. God in heaven, here we are. We're your children today. And that's a, as we've seen, that's a pretty glorious truth that we would be considered your children. Your children. And so even as we think on this word, as we come and take communion now, we want to do so, God, holy and blameless, innocent before you, repenting of our sin and trusting in you, Christ. Jesus, we look to you. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. And so help us now as we take the elements to your glory. We pray in Christ's name and God's children said, amen.